0: Welcome back to Chat with the Designers, a weekly technical discussion forum for amateur radio homebrewers and experimenters with your hosts, George N2APB and Joe N2CX. All right, let's get things started. Welcome to Chat with the Designers, your online Live, interactive, weekly magazine for homebrewers, QRPers, and ham radio ops on a worldwide basis. This is your co-host, George N2APB, along with Joe, co-host Joe N2CX. Uh, Tonight's session is Harmonics, Spurs, Parasitics, Oh My, What You See Is Not Everything That You're Getting. We're going to be talking about some really interesting material tonight here and uh, I hope that uh, again that everybody has dialed up to the web page. We have a lot of good material posted that we're going to follow. Schematics, pictures, diagrams, things that will make the explanations a lot easier. So what we wanted to do here tonight was to really talk about uh, the experience I think that most of us have had along the way in our ham radio and home brewing uh, experiences on the bench. So how many of us have actually built an oscillator and a VFO or a DDS signal generator? Maybe it's the DDS 60. Maybe it's the LO for even your, your uh, QRP transmitter. And then uh, the first thing you do is you kind of check it over pretty quickly. You have all the right connections Then you apply power. Aha, no smoke. And son of a gun, you actually can make a signal, a contact with it. So your signal is getting out, you know, so if it works, Great and you keep using it. Chances are most of us stop right there, and we don't even consider um, taking a look at the signal quality. Only because you know we're we're novices and we start off really simple and man we can get a we can get off with this oscillator, but who knows what that signal quality looks like. You don't have any fancy test equipment, usually when you start off, and <laughs> sometimes right throughout your entire ham career. So how do you actually measure the quality of the signal that you're putting on the air, or the signal that you're squirting into other circuits and using uh, for other purposes. Many of us have an oscilloscope of one form or another, and even if you do, and and if you do, you know, that only goes so far. And uh, a common trick that we all have used is you call up your buddy living across town, your ham radio buddy, and say, hey, listen to me on on, uh, on 7250 or wherever your phone signal might be as or your CW signal on 71 uh, uh, 7040 and uh, see if you can hear me. And chances are, you know, if you're lucky, he can hear you. But that's a really subjective type of uh, assessment. And uh, you still don't have a really good handle on what kind of a signal that you're generating. So we thought that tonight Joe and I would... Uh, Get a little bit of a, um, arm you with a little bit of um, some extra tools, some extra knowledge and approach to get in a handle on that signal that that we all deal with. To do this, it's necessary to kind of understand the mechanism of what actually creates a nice, simple sinusoidal RF signal that we hear on the air so often with our CW signals, for example, and just what affects its uh, purity. You know how what determines how good it is if you can hear it is it good enough some of us know that you know you can listen to a tone and if you hear some raspy edges or a buzz or a hum you know that something else is into the transmitter and your sinusoidal RF signal isn't really quite as sinusoidal or pure in frequency as you might think it is so what we're going to talk about tonight is what actually goes into creating a a good quality signal what happens what causes it not to be good quality and then what are some of the simple techniques that are implemented and that one can implement with simple standard analog components analog components so in other words we're to look at the signals that your oscillator is generating to see if your transmitter is really operating well enough keep in mind that we don't need no sticking computer for some of the stuff and that's the way it is here tonight we're going to be talking about the, uh, the issues of harmonics and spurs that are generated from certain oscillators, some more than others, and also parasitic oscillations, some mysterious high-frequency, actually uh, UHF types of oscillations that happen in our circuits that we don't even see. Sometimes you smell them because it causes extra energy to be dissipated in your, uh, in your amplifier circuits, and your transistors and uh, but it, it's definitely not helping you at all. So how do you determine if it's there? Well, what we're gonna be talking about tonight is just that very topic. and we're gonna give some really good kind of uh, information on ways to take a peek at that, ways that you can subject, um, in a relative manner, determine the signal quality of your signal. The, uh, the presentation tonight is broken into two sections, as indicated on our whiteboard there on the, uh, on the webpage. And again, for our podcast listeners, this is the web page at uh, www.njqrp.org/stroke-teamSpeak/stroke-may1.html. So on our web page, right there, we have um, all of our material broken into two pieces. The first half is more or less of a, uh, as I indicated, a, ther- a theoretical type of approach to, you know, what are the signals, how are they. How does one generate an RF signal uh, in the first place? You know, the basics of mixing. Joe and I call it Mixing 101. And what happens in a, in a nice uh, kind of a pure world? And then what happens in a real world? Well, how do some of the signals look after Mixing 101 occurs? And then what can we do to mitigate the problems or identify when they're happening? And, uh, you know, what, what are some of the important parts? The second part of our presentation tonight deals with a circuit that Joe and I designed for Atlanticon, oh, a number of years ago, is a group project for the Atlanticon QRP weekend that we held uh, nine consecutive years. you sponsored by the New Jersey QRP and the AM QRP clubs. And this, uh, this project, uh, this circuit board, uh, the circuit and uh, uh, the buildup of it is uh, a way that you can get a good relative handle and a really, really handy item to have on the shack. Uh, around the shack. I've got mine here on the bench and I use it uh, fairly often. I deal a lot with uh, the DDS-60, as some of you know, and uh, using the techniques that we're going to be describing here tonight is a great way to get a quick read on how much extra energy is being generated besides just the fundamental. And that's the core of the issue here. How much other stuff higher up in frequency is being generated that you really don't want that's the part of what you see is less than what you get is what we don't normally see is just the uh just the fundamental or what we like to hear is just the fundamental well, we, what we what is really there is there's there's a lot more so that's what we're going to explore tonight joe do you want to help frame it up and then kick her off sure be glad to george indeed this is a this is a topic
1: that uh should be uh, relatively important to most hams But the difficulties of actually doing some meaningful measurements get to be difficult, as as, uh, you hinted at. The realities of uh, life in electronics are that uh, all transmitters, all signal sources, um, anything that produces what you expect to be a a sinusoid, a single frequency signal, has other artifacts in it, other signals that uh, you don't want. The, the easiest to conceive of the easiest to think of is uh, harmonics. If you don't have a pure sine wave, no sine wave is exactly pure. You'll have multiples of the, uh, of the fundamental frequency, what's called the fundamental frequency. These are generally lower in amplitude, but if they're strong enough, they can cause, uh, they can cause problems. And uh, if things are real bad, and I've seen this any number of times, you can also have other serious products. Things that are generated by uh, perhaps other signals getting into your into your transmitter. If you have uh, multiple oscillators transmitter, they can leak into the signal chain and uh, mix in some of the amplifiers and uh, produce additional outputs. If you're using a a DDS or something like that, uh, they inherently have some spurious outputs that are not related to the uh, fundamental frequency. And in the worst case, if you have a, uh, an amplifier transmitter, if you build a transmitter from scratch, it's not unusual to find out that um, the old adage that oscillators, amplifiers oscillate comes to, comes to pass. Um, it is not all, at all difficult, particularly with solid-state transmitters, to, uh, to have a final amplifier oscillate on you and put out uh, energy at frequencies you absolutely don't want. Um, there are other things we're not going to talk too much about, but uh, for example, a single sideband, you can get intermodulation distortion. That's really treated another way. Uh, that's caused by nonlinear amplification. Perhaps we'll deal with that another time. Now, after signal generation, um, you often have to go through a mixer to get to the final frequency you want. Um, and as is shown on our whiteboard uh, in Mixing 101, there's a signal of a mixer. And this is an RF mixer. This is not an audio mixer. Uh, Audio mixer is a linear summer, where you put in uh, multiple audio sources, and you get a linear addition of these. An RF type mixer is actually a multiplier, where you multiply two frequencies together. Ideally, what you get is the sum of the two frequencies. In other words, if you have... uh, F1 and F2 are uh, one megahertz and, and seven megahertz. You'll get the sum, which would be seven plus one or eight megahertz, and the difference, seven minus one or six megahertz. Um, and that's, that's if everything is, is good and it's a uh, you have perfect input signals and a, uh, a linear, a, a, an, I'll call it a linear mixer, a mixer that is strictly a multiplier. Practically speaking, doesn't happen. Most pictures have some other nonlinearities in there. And there's a spectrum alongside this uh, this picture that shows you what some of the other products can be. And the products in this case would be uh, sums and differences of harmonics of the two inputs to the mixer. So it gets to look like a Christmas tree if you have enough of them. And uh, that's the sort of thing that uh, even with the best of signals you can get. And we, we have some pictures of... Uh, some typical uh, spectrum picture, spectrum analyzer pictures that we stole from uh w 7 zois website which are some uh, some real real outputs of a transmitter um, there's one there that shows a, a typical 1 watt uh transceiver kit and there's a big uh looks like a big finger sticking up in the middle of the screen that's the fundamental signal that's the signal you want then you can see the uh, sitting off to either side of that or some little squiggles at much lower amplitude um, that are not related to the uh, the fundamental frequency that are just kind of grass sitting around the signal. Uh, and there's a, another signal to the right on, in the picture, which is the second harmonic, which is uh, um, gets, uh, 40, 40-some dB down from the uh, fund- fundamental. Um, to the right of that picture is another one with just a um, um, just the main signal and the second harmonic down attenuated about the same amount, but all the grass is missing. the uh, The grass in the left-hand picture is the sort of thing you see from spurious products, from uh, other things mixing in and giving you unwanted uh, signals in there. Uh, if you transmit like that on a on a crowded band. At a watt, you probably won't cause problems, but if you have any higher power, you're going to be putting all sorts of little birdies all over the spectrum uh, transmitting where you don't want to be, and in fact, some of them can be out of band. Uh, there's a yet a third picture, which is a, a real-life spectrum, which uh, apparently George got from his spectrum analyzer, which is yet another uh, with a lot of grass, which is a main signal, and there's a Uh, there are a couple pips there that look to be harmonics and some lower level stuff they're only about 30 db down that is uh that's not uh not acceptable on the air um the fcc rules part 97 703 state that uh, the power the mean power of any spurious emissions from a station transmitter this is in amateur service or external rf amplifier transmitting on a frequency Below 30 megahertz must be at least 43 dB below the mean power of the fundamental emission. What that's saying in big words is, any spurs you have or harmonics, uh, any one of them has to be at least 43 dB down from your main signal. Uh, 43 dB is 1 uh, one twenty thousandth of, uh, of the power. So that's quite a bit of attenuation. That is. Uh, quite a bit of attenuation indeed but that's the rules uh, at a, at uh UHF VHF and UHF it gets even worse the uh, signals the uh, unwanted stuff has to be at least 60 dB down go ahead george
0: um in a couple of these diagrams are uh, the photos uh there is an asymmetry around the fundamental is that uh uh can can you kind of address why that is
1: yeah. <laughs> well, off the top of my head, I suppose I can. Um, some of the asymmetry is due to uh, the, uh, the nature of the spectrum analyzer. If the uh, if the center hump is uh, is centered in the picture, um, and the second harmonic is still on screen, it means you're actually looking below the um, below DC or uh, it's it's uh, funny stuff with the with the um uh, with a um, spectrum analyzer but a lot of it the asymmetry is uh, on the low side of the signal and what this looks to be is uh, some other uh, either oscillation and amplifier or it's um, quite possibly some noise from a, um, a switching power supply that's uh, operating at a couple hundred kilohertz, and it's getting into this uh, transmitter and it's mixing with your real signal, and putting a whole bunch of noise sidebands there, um, that will be transmitted. Uh, and if you're high enough power, that cause problems to you. Um, one of the other things that'll do is if it gets into your receiver, and uh, indeed, if it's in the transmitter circuits, probably in the receiver too, that'll mean you'll have a whole bunch of birdies. As you tune across the band, uh, that, that will uh, cause you endless amounts of, of difficulty, spurious signals that aren't there. So it's, uh, it's, it's not, uh, not at all good, not, nothing you want to have uh, all this unwanted junk there, both from a performance standpoint of, of meeting the FCC specs and from uh, being a good neighbor on the air and indeed having your receivers work well.
0: Oh definitely. And um my guess would have been to, these are not our photos of course. Um the reason I was thinking that uh, the asymmetry is around the fundamental in these diagrams is that there might have been a filter. So if there was filtering we're only seeing the upper or lower sideband respectively. Indeed, that's uh, that's quite
1: possible. Yeah. Um yeah. That uh, that would also do it too. And uh, the filtering would not necessarily be symmetrical. Good point.
2: Then you wouldn't have a carrier.
1: Well, you could have a carrier, but it's a it's a filter that's trying to suppress all the other signals. A band pass filter uh, that's trying to suppress any junk around there. And if that's asymmetrical, uh, it will suppress the junk uh, on one side better than the other.
0: We didn't talk too much about in the, in the, on the whiteboard about the um, the causes. For um, excessive spectra, in other words, what causes a signal to have excessive garbage in there? Maybe as depicted uh, in the lower real-life spectrum one. I, again, I run into this a lot with the uh, DDS sixty card, um, which which I kit up for, for people, and um, if they have too, if they have the gain turned up too high, on that. And they're generating uh, too much of a signal, more than the uh, more than the card can really um, handle, handle from a from a signal swing perspective. And I think four volts plus or minus four volts is, the, or four volts peak to peak is the uh, is the limitation on the card. So if they crank the gain up to get more, to do, try to deliver more than four volts peak to peak, there is some flat topping that starts occurring with the signal. And many of us have seen that, even with audio signals, of course, when you, when you overmodulate. So, um, Joe, can you comment uh, briefly on uh, that effect and, and essentially how that uh, puts a lot more stuff into the signal that's being generated?
1: Yeah, if you're starting off with a clean signal, the main thing that uh, flat-topping nonlinearity will do is to generate harmonics. And those are at uh, multiples of the fundamental frequency. If you're dealing with a uh, uh, something like a DDS, a direct digital synthesizer, there are also spurs that are attenuated. uh, Spurs that are some dB down. But as you uh, as you flat top and you clip, um, it tends to suppress the main signal and to bring up the noise background. So uh, it can get hairy in a hurry when you do something like that. Good point, George. Uh, um, (laughs) Try to tweak for what's best. And if we have spectrum analyzer, we're used to those photos. But uh, others who may not uh, be so blessed as to be able to use spectrum analyzers don't don't have this uh, luxury. Um, Any other comments, George?
0: Um, No, other than perhaps um, other ways for generating the... um... Um, additional unwanted uh, spectrum um, higher up in frequency, Can uh, there are a multitude of ways, non-linear, nonlinearities in the amplifier circuits that you have, anything that causes the sine wave to be anything but sine, or even start, sometimes you've seen sine waves start to approach a little bit looking like a, a triangle. That is because additional signals are, are being, uh, introduced into the into the signal going out of your uh, transmitter and then and you can see these additional signals and the frequency spectrum by using a spectrum analyzer such as we're seeing here if you look happen to be looking at it on a scope if you have a scope that can go that high you, you would see that the signal starts degrading from being perfectly sinusoidal uh, low voltage um, or overvoltage in the output amplifier stage is often a, a case for for something going out of whack, some biasing getting getting messed up. Bottom bottom line is that um, even sort of as in digital modes, turning things up or increasing them to perhaps do better or do reach farther or more power is not necessarily the case with uh, in creating amplified a good uh good signals from an amplifier you want to be operating the amplifier at the right uh, at the right levels okay joe let's uh let's continue on and um finish this section up and maybe then we'll uh, go over into some of the practical part of the presentation
1: okay sure. yeah, thank you for the uh the clarification amplification there yeah uh, uh, practically speaking if if uh, as george uh, points out you've got a triangle wave what that means is that uh, the even harmonics, the even multiples two, four, six, eight, of the fundamental signal, are in amplitude relative to the uh, fundamental. If you have a square wave, it's the odd harmonics, um, five, seven, nine, eleven, etc., that are uh, uh, that are uh, growing in amplitude relative to the input, and of course they're of course. bad. Filtering will take care of them, but uh, it's best not to generate them in the first place um testing for these uh, these things can be a challenge uh, you know as hams as, as george hinted uh, uh we might have somebody in town who can listen to our signal and they hear the fundamental and It sounds really good they tune off a little bit within the ham band see if they have any um, any blasts of audio or uh, key clicks and they can also listen on the higher handbands to see if there's uh, see if there's any uh, harmonics present. Um, testing for spurs that way uh, not not really practical. Uh, and yet another way I remember back to my novice days is uh, putting a transmitter on the air and waiting to get a pink slip from the FCC. Um, I I had a uh, an 80 meter rig that i was very proud of it ran a couple 16 14s i was running about 50 watts in with it and i wasn't making any contacts on 40 and then one day i got this uh, um, pink slip official notice from the fcc that uh, their monitoring station in california was hearing my signal Uh, instead of being on uh, 3.7 megahertz it was on 7.4 megahertz what that told me was that I tuned up the final to 40 meters instead of 80 meters. So uh, I got myself a wave meter uh, from um, uh, Lafayette Radio and uh, made sure that I tuned the final up on 40, or on 80, rather than 40. These days, the best way to uh, do the measurements is to uh, to use some decent test equipment. There are a number of uh, sources on the web for uh, how you do these. One of the better um, standard things for hams is that the ARRL publishes a uh, test procedures manual, lab test procedure manual that they they use when they're uh, testing ham radio equipment for uh, reviews. That has a detailed list of all the uh, uh, test equipment diagrams of how the measurements are done so that um, indeed they can, they can quantify uh, how the HAM equipment is performing, and it goes through the whole gamut. The downside is to do all these measurements, you need a whole bunch of test equipment. Uh, just to start, you need um, a test equipment that is uh, it's good, high-quality stuff and calibrated, uh, which can be quite expensive. Uh, such things you'll need are oscilloscopes, signal generators, uh, the ever-popular spectrum analyzer, RF power meters. Calibrated dummy loads that you know are uh, uh, rated for the power you're handling and are 50 ohms. Um, To do some of the measurements, you need RF summers, which are not mixers. They are actually resistive summers to uh, combine signals, and uh, RF mixers. So, you know, that's a whole bunch of stuff uh, that most of us don't have. So uh, what the devil can you do to to measure a... um, particularly a transmitter, uh, without all that test equipment? The answer that uh, George and I kind of came up with is um, if you use a spectrum analyzer, you look at the signal you have, and you look at the others at the same time uh, on a screen. And you compare the, uh, the relative, uh, relative uh, um, amplitude of both. Uh, we decided you can kind of turn it on its ear uh, with something relatively simple. You can measure um, all of the signals coming out at one time, and then put a notch filter in. On the notch filter, you tune to uh, decrease the wanted signal, and then you look at what's left. So that is a way of determining what you uh, uh, what you have in terms of unwanted signals compared to uh, the desired signal and uh it takes very little test equipment to uh,
0: to do that um George you want to carry on sure joe did did you catch did you catch that last point? I was typing a message uh for the board here, and uh did you talk about ways to make the measurements uh without all that test equipment?
1: Well, I hinted at uh what the uh signal quality meter is um uh the the principle behind it of uh, using a notch just comparing the whole signal to or the whole spectrum to the spectrum without the uh desired signal i did not, I did read, not what read what you what
0: you... Uh, you were putting there okay good enough um the um um before we get into the practical session of uh tonight's uh presentation which by the way is tending to be a bit of a of a style that we are Uh, A formula that we are following here with the chat with the designers um, weekly sessions and I hope some of you regular attendees can see this and maybe uh, revel in the uh, the approach because I think it's it's kind of fun to learn about uh, the theory of a given problem or a technique or an approach to doing something and then actually see a practical aspect of dealing with that problem or technique or uh, approach so we're following that here tonight with the signal quality meter again it's that project that sqm is the project that we talked about that we designed for Atlanticon a way number of years ago before we get into the practical side however um are there any questions kind of that we've touched on and covering uh you know the generation and, and and the characteristics of of uh, signals and spectrum above the fundamental.
2: Uh, I know once upon a time uh, the spectrum analyzer was something only for the the wealthiest of hams or for uh, the commercial lab, but now thousands of uh, hams have a pretty excellent spectrum analyzer sitting in their software-defined radios uh, with a spectrum display. Is that? Uh, display useful in doing these kinds of analysis, or does it uh, cover too narrow a bandwidth to really be useful?
0: Nope, you hit the nail right on the head there. That would, had we more time, um, in these sec- sessions here, and maybe we'll cover it in a follow-on session. We would have really uh, approached that um, the waterfall—not the waterfall, but it's its cousin—is the spectrum display of uh, an SDR rig. So you get a a, a PC the display in the program, uh, an SDR program that shows the spectrum coming in uh, within its sampling width. Maybe it's 48 kilohertz, maybe it's uh, wider, and you'll have an opportunity to see some of the quality of the signal that, of, that you are receiving. And in fact, you would be able to, with a properly calibrated uh, receiver, you would be able to determine the power levels and various other characteristics such as um, IMD, or intermodulation distortion, and other characteristics of, your tra- of the signal that's being transmitted. Third-order intercept, I think, is what I was trying to think of. And ultimately, you could tune the that SDR display to actually kind of show more carefully the signal's characteristics. But that's a great observation, and you're absolutely right. So one aspect of our technology these days is able to lend itself in other areas such as measurement.
2: Yeah, Pete, go ahead. Okay, another uh, way to measure spurs that is substantially cheaper to acquire in commercial surplus than a spectrum analyzer is a frequency selective voltmeter. Uh, These things are around and if you have one that works, I've got one that doesn't work right now, (laughs) Uh, those are pretty much pretty easy to calibrate and easier to deal with than a spec analyzer uh, and a lot more available.
0: Yeah, funny you should mention that. You're absolutely right. Okay, well let's get onto the uh, um, into the second half of the presentation, as it were. Again, the SQM or the Signal Quality Meter was the uh, the project we developed for Atlanticon. Some 130 uh, people received this kit, uh, of which there are no more. So if you're if you have a question queued up, there we don't have any more. But As a result of chat with the designers, uh, we're resurrecting that kit. We'll shortly have it available, and it'll be a quick turnaround. And uh, so if you're interested in an inexpensive way, an inexpensive piece of equipment to have on your bench, you'll shortly have that here with the SQM. But the SQM was built by some somewhat less than 130 of the attendees, but many of them did. And I forgot what the contest part was that we normally associated with the Atlanticon. Um, but the, uh, the, the people built up the, um, um, the SQM, and then we're actually able to, you know, demonstrate its use right there. And it uses the principle that Joe was outlining and and alluding to just a moment ago. The spectrum analyzers, you know, all those high priced equipment, test equipment that uh, many of us would like to have on our bench. Some of us are lucky enough to have some. And, uh. Uh, That measures the signals that are being generated and then along along the entire spectrum. And every time you saw a blip is where there was spectral energy. Normally, we don't care too much about where those blips are up in higher-ended frequencies. Uh, You just care that they're there because they ought not to be there. You care about the fundamental, which you can, for the most part, see as a large signal. But if you kind of turn turn the question around or turn the situation around a little bit and you try to measure all of the fun all of the energy that's being generated you would end up by uh, with a circuit that would sum or add together all of the spectral energy that's being generated by the, by your transmitter which includes the fundamental and the second harmonic and the fourth harmonic and and or the other harmonics and spurs that might be generated by your DDS circuit because of extra clocks that were in your uh, that are coming through the RF transmit. You would add it all together and you would get some type of a representation. Pretend you had a meter that kind of displayed everything there. Now, since you know that this, the fundamental is there, suppose you could take out that fundamental while still, of course, transmitting. But you're transmitting and with this little circuit, if you're able to take out the fundamental frequency, notch it out, Use a notch filter to take it out. Everything that's left in your little meter that is reading all of the spectral energy is indicative in a relative manner to the amount of harmonic and parasitic and spur type of energy that is being generated by your transmitter. That's the thing that you want to minimize, you want to reduce. So again, if you have a circuit that notches out, takes away, the fundamental energy, that main big spike that Joe indicated with the finger that was sticking up in the, in the spectrum display, and that meter then read the residual amount of other energy that was there. That's uh, the amount of badness. So pretend that you can adjust a filter or adjust your power supply, or like I was explaining earlier, if you could adjust the, the amplitude of your DDS signal such so that you're not flat-topping and you should and you will uh, see the amount of that bad energy go down and and just reduce in amplitude and and uh and that's a good thing so ultimately if you can reduce the amount of energy that is a bad stuff you'll increase the quality of your signal now there are some uh, there are some projects that use a DDS-60, and let me just explain, um, a, an antenna analyzer is one of them. The basis of an antenna analyzer, in, in a very fast nutshell, is to measure the amount of energy that's, that's uh, uh, being generated. And you assume, one assumes that it is all fundamental energy, which is why you it's so imperative to have a nice, clean signal source for your antenna analyzer. The DDS-60 is a good example. But if it's improperly adjusted, you'll be generating a lot of gudge and spurs and, and uh, spectrum up above that also gets added into the measurements that you're attempting to make. Assuming that it's, you're measuring just the fundamental, but you're really measuring a lot of bad stuff, and it throws your measurements way off. So you'll think that you've got either a better or a worse signal than you really do because of the other interference that's um, being introduced because of the, uh, the higher level spectrum energy that's present. So again, a way to take out the fundamental and then just measure what's left. Now, in the theory of operation for the SQM, you see the block diagram that explains how the RF signal coming in on the left hand side is attenuated and then it's put through a notch filter. In a moment, Joe is going to describe the notch filter. It's it's kind of an integral part of the uh, design. And it's very useful in its characteristics, much as the little picture there shows, it notches out at a very specific frequency, such that if you are generating an RF signal at that uh, at that frequency, in theory, it would not progress any further past that notch block. Some Sometimes a little bit of it does, because practice is always more real than theory. And uh, also, that notch, of course, does not take out any of this the unwinded spectrum up above the fundamental. So that residual gets input to a log amp, a very sensitive amplifier for low level signals with a logarithmic relationship. And a linear signal is output of that amp representative of the RF energy that's being sensed on the input. And that that DC signal coming out of the log amp is presented to a display, a bar graph display. In this case, it could be a meter, it could be an A to D converter on a on a microcontroller, but in this case here with the SQM, we input it to a circuit um, which uh, happens to be happens to be uh, the LM3914. It's an amplifier with uh, uh, ten levels of quantization or ten comparators built into it. And based on the level of that dc signal it illuminate it, it turns on one or more of the leds the more leds that you have on the higher the signal that's uh, coming from the log amp which means the more gudge and bad stuff that you've got in your in your uh, spectrum so the idea is the basic principle of operation in a nutshell is to you know connect your transmitter up to the uh, the input of this sqm and uh, with the notch tuning capacitor shown there, you can adjust the location of that notch to be right on top of your your, uh, your uh, fundamental. In other words, you can, and it's an easy thing to determine just by you null out using the bar graph display, you adjust the notch such that there is a minimum of dis- uh, LEDs that are displayed in the LED bar graph uh, uh, array. And that, can, that will tell you that the notch is right on top of them, the main frequency, uh, the main energy source, which is the fundamental. And once you've nulled it as best you can, the residual LEDs that are turned on is a relative indication of the amount of energy that is still coming out of your transmitter. And that, again, is your relative indication of signal quality. What I do is uh, I have a uh, um, a good feel for what the minimum number of LEDs on is for a dds signal that I'm, I, I test all the dds cards before i ship them to, to to guys like you guys and make sure that it works just fine and this is a way in addition to actually putting it in on a spectrum analyzer that i'm lucky to have but i know what the characteristic low level number of i uh, of leds is on uh, if it happens to be higher i know that there's something wacko so uh, again it's a really useful tool for the bench Joe, do you want to describe the notch filter a little bit? I included uh, some of your, uh, your SPICE simulation, and I thought it would be interesting for the guys here to look at the notch that happens and, and how you were able to determine um, the configuration to represent there in the SPICE model.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, George. I'm glad you are able to find that SPICE stuff. I, I could not locate it, so
0: <laughs> it is good to know.
1: The notch filter is really, um, it's, it's relatively simple. Um, and fairly powerful. It, um, if you look at the schematic, there's um, a resistor coming into the uh, into the SQM. Um, well, the, first of all, there's a termination resistor, 56 ohms, and then there are a couple other resistors. There's a 500 ohm potentiometer that's used to adjust the input level, so that when you have the full signal, full signal coming in. You adjust that for the maximum number of bars on the bar graph display. You crank it up so that you just get the uh, all 10 bars lighted, pardon. And then uh, as you notch it out, you can count down how many bars um, you've knocked out and see how much attenuation you you have, much as George just mentioned. But at any rate, the notch part of it, notch part of the SQM, consists of a a series 200-ohm resistor, that then goes to either of two types of uh, uh, notch components, notch uh, sections. Uh, the first is a crystal. You can use a, a quartz crystal there with a known um, <clears throat> series resonant frequency. Uh, and the effect is at its series resonant frequency, The uh, I'm sorry, uh, it's parallel resonant frequency here. At the parallel resonant frequency of the crystal, its impedance is very high, so that it blocks the signal coming through. So that signal coming through that 200 ohm resistor then is blocked from getting through this crystal at its parallel resonant frequency and doesn't uh, doesn't pass through to the, uh, to the remaining of the uh, signal uh, measuring uh, uh, circuitry. Um, there is a, a SPICE uh, model of this uh, included in the um, in the stuff here, with a and I'm trying to trying to look at it on the screen here, with a um, a notch frequency a series resonant frequency of um, looks like uh, just over eleven. Um, uh, I'm sorry, the notch itself is it's eleven point about 11 point 014 megahertz and you can see that the notch depth, it's a voltage divider comprised of the series resistor and then the the low impedance of this, uh, the high impedance of this crystal uh, blocking the signal so that it attenuates it by, uh, uh, in the SPICE modeling, uh, almost 70 dB. So it's a very, very good tight notch, uh, which would be very good for Knocking out the fundamental and looking at the signals that are left. The downside of using a crystal is that, first of all, you have to have a crystal that has a, uh, a parallel resonance at exactly the frequency you want to notch out. Uh, if you were doing it on various handbands, bands, you'd have to have a crystal for each hand band. And if if you wanted to do different parts of, that, of each hand band, then you needed additional crystals. The advantage is you can get a very, very deep notch. Uh, you can very very good attenuation there, so that you knock out the wanted signal, and can look at the remainder. The second way of uh, achieving a notch uses a couple of components, as George mentioned, that are in the uh, in the S Q M. There's a um, an inductor, um, two selectable inductors. One of one of which uh, covers, uh, well, two of which cover the whole. Um, three to 30 megahertz band, one inductor for the lower part, another for the higher part. But you pick one of these resistors, one of these inductors that'll be in the portion of the band you want, then that's connected in series with a um, variable capacitor, which forms a a series resonance circuit. And the series resonance circuit has the um, uh, uh, performance ability that at its resonance, it is a very low impedance. Whereas the crystal's the high impedance was in series, this is a low impedance that is in series with the input uh, signal. So it attenuates it right at the notch. And in this case, with the practical components, um, the Torrid gives you a reasonable cue. You don't get quite as much uh, of a null. You get something like a 40 dB null. It is with a uh, with the inductor, choice of two inductors and a variable capacitor, you can move this anywhere in the 3 to 30 megahertz range you want and uh, notch out the signal uh, very a- in a very agile fashion. Uh, pretty simple to do and, um, indeed, uh, uh, very easy to use. It, uh, it takes far longer to describe the operation here than it does to set it up on a bench and show somebody how to use it. Very user friendly, very easy to do. And, uh, in fact, um, with some additional um, features uh, we're considering adding, it can be a much more useful device. Very um, touchy-feely as opposed to some off-putting piece of fancy test equipment with a million dials, dials and knobs. This has only a couple controls, and it gives you instant gratification in a visual display that tells you right away what you've got. Back to you George
0: Great going through that Joe. Um, and you're right about the uh, instant gratification I think everybody I, I, my feel I, I feel that way and I'll bet you Nicolette, that uh, everybody else is that way here too just being able to plug something in, turn it on and see an indication after a minimal of adjustment uh, what in this case your signal quality is or or whatever else is being measured is a great thing the KISS principle in, uh, in in the design world is keep it simple, stupid. So we, we really are attempted to do that here. And the last photo that's on our whiteboard, you'll see the SQM in in, um, in progress. I suppose I could make a nice little YouTube video about that and I probably will, but you see my finger sticking out there um, with a test signal that's input to on the left side and you'll see three bars that are illuminated in that uh, bar graph array and apparently that is after the um, the notch has been adjusted to be on top of the fundamental and to get more sensitivity yet yeah, you could increase the trim pod in the upper right hand corner to give you more signal um, perhaps to give you more sensitivity of uh, bars being displayed indicating the, the gudge but again it's a relative uh, relative type of indication um, I mentioned that a uh, uh, characteristic of our chat with the designer project series that we have going here with uh, the rainbow tuner and and uh, the growler and the SIC card and now this, uh, uh, this SQM board. Those who are attending on the given nights, such as you folks here are live uh, listening here, You'll have an opportunity, if you wish, to buy the kit essentially at uh, at cost uh, just for you know, having attended and contributed here to our uh, our forum. And if you're interested in doing that, just uh, uh, remind me that you attended here in the session. I happen to have record, of course, of everybody who attended. But just let me know and we'll make sure that that happens. Otherwise, we'll be making it uh, available within, say, three weeks along with the others other projects that are coming along and uh, on a general basis and it'll be an inexpensive kit just about just what you see there and you'll be able to uh, use it there on the bench okay Uh, um, we want to take the last five minutes to talk about some new products in the little section i have at the top of the whiteboard called what's news this week And uh, I'm going to turn it back to Joe, since these are his items this week, and he can review at least the first one. We both learned about this over a lunch that we had with uh, a couple of us. Hey, Joe was there, too. Joe uh, KC2VGL and Frank N3PUU. They're both here with us tonight. And over lunch that we had, uh, the four of us um, um, two, three days ago, we learned about uh, this device, or this new thing that uh, Joe's going to talk about. So... Here's the what's news section this week. Go ahead, Joe.
1: Thank you, George. Yes, indeed, Um, uh, there has been some buzz about this on the um, uh, soft rock list that uh, some people have picked up on, and I, I, I saw the um, saw the uh, topics, but I really didn't dig into it. Uh, Frank, uh, Frank, and uh, uh, Joe. When we got together this weekend pointed it out um, some guys have found that uh, some relatively simple tv tuners little plug-in modules that uh, you can buy for various prices i've seen them i think as cheap as about 11 dollars, and as much as maybe 30 bucks uh, along with some sdr software that runs on a computer you can make a little receiver um, and uh, some of them tune uh, as wide a range as 64 to 1,700 megahertz. You may have heard of the, uh, the fundangle receiver, which uh, comes from Europe that's over 100 bucks. Well, apparently this thing is uh, uses some of the same chips, but uh, guys have found, um, found a way to uh, do it with uh, a much cheaper um, set of hardware to make a, uh, a receiver that will demodulate various signals, I think up to as wide as a couple megahertz in the uh, VHF and UHF range for next to no money and with free, free software. Uh, there is a link on the webpage for Hackaday, which is another uh, uh, location where people have discussed this and given some of the details on how to do it. But it's kind of an exciting way to, uh, to do some ham experimentation um, in the ham line of being very, very cheap and uh, relatively available. Another news item that uh, is kind of an ongoing story, but the Elecraft KX3, their super little uh, uh, portable uh, SDR receiver, or I should say, uh, it's not total SDR receiver, it's a receiver incorporating some digital techniques and another number of other goodies in a very very small package, is now uh, available in customers' hands uh, in great uh, great quantities. I think they've shipped several hundred of them. And there are a number of reports uh, on the email list, people raving over actually using them, going out and operating from uh, uh, mountaintops and, and in the woods and all that. And um, they're raving over their performance. Uh, really, really turning out to be a very nice radio. Uh, high performance radio with a lot of bells and whistles that uh, is small and light enough that you can carry it to the field. And just a kind of an editorial aside that actually comes out of this KX3 stuff. Um, it's a conjecture on my part. What is the half-life of information on email lists? Um, in conjunction with a KX3, because it's a multiband rig, people are curious about what's the best, what's the cheapest, what's the most effective uh, portable wire antenna I can take to the field. And this is a terribly... Uh, a recurring theme, every six months to a year, there's a whole flurry of questions of what's, you know, what's the best thing to do? What can I take? Uh, It it works great, it weighs next to nothing, and it costs next to nothing. And what's really ironic is that the same threads, the same topics, the same responders come out with basically the same info. Um, And nobody tends to, uh, Remember that the same topic was dealt with six months or a year ago. And if you just go back to the archives, you can get a wealth of information without uh, rehashing old subjects. Enough curmudgeonliness. Um, That's the news for the week. Back to you, George.
0: And that's the news. Okay, Joe, thank you. Good digging up on that. uh, Actually, good good, and thank you to uh, both Frank and uh, JJ there for uh, bringing it to our attention while we had lunch this weekend. Um, and uh, if anybody has, um, if anybody finds new, new projects, new kits, new devices introduced by manufacturers, new gear that's introduced by vendors, um, pump a message over to me or Joe, and we'll do a little research and kind of bring it to this forum. That would be really a fun and interesting uh, regular session here. Okay, we had, uh, at least Joe and I, I, can speak for Joe and I, we had a great time. I hope that, that you all did. Before we wrap her up for tonight's session, are there any questions relative to spectra, uh, spurs, and other types of gudge that's, uh, that might be in your RF signal? Ways to measure it? Maybe some of the terms that we used are, are unfamiliar to you. Can Can we help clarify anything that we talked about tonight?
2: Well, a very quick and a very, very, very dirty way of checking spectra is to use a conventional antenna and reasonably high-Q antenna tuner. And if it's tuned up on, say, 40 meters with a known good transmitter and you're trying another transmitter out and you're seeing the SWR is not what it was with the other transmitter, you can be pretty sure that the transmitter under consideration is producing something else than 40 meters, which is making your SWR reading a lot worse.
0: Real good point, uh, real good point, Pete. Other, uh, I, I see a question here that uh, Russ posted. Joe, I was wondering this too. Why did we uh, choose a parallel um, series resonant frequency? Actually, no, we've got a series resonant. I don't know, do you see his question and do you understand it?
1: We chose a, I don't even see the question. Um, the The crystal exhibits a, um, a, series, a parallel resonance that's very high Q um, and gives a lot of attenuation. Um, and that can be put in with very little leakage around it in the filter. We chose a series resonance circuit because we have to adjust it. We have to get our hands on it. And we can ground the capacitor so that we don't get uh, body capacitive effects and we don't have leakage around the filter, um, which is why we chose the, the series resonant uh, uh, topology for uh, the tunable notch filter. I have another comment on the um, using a transmitter uh, to, and a, an antenna tuner to check the transmitter output. You can use the same transmitter to test it if you have a dummy load. You uh, check the SWR into a dummy load, which is very broadband, and uh, then put it through this uh, antenna tuner. And if the SWR gets much higher in the the narrowband antenna tuner than it was in the dummy load, then you have the potential for uh, uh, unwanted junk being uh, output from the transmitter.
0: Very cool. Very cool. There's a lot of tricks that you can use with existing equipment here in the uh, on our benches that are not immediately evident.
2: All right. One
0: final call for questions before we wrap.
2: You want to talk about the National Semiconductor Switcher CAD software that you mentioned in your uh, display?
0: Yeah, Joe, if you can, um, uh, we probably don't have much time tonight, but give me the link or maybe put the link for that uh, the National Semiconductor um, tool, and uh, we'll get it onto the web page, too. Yeah, I'll have to get the link to you
1: another time. I, I don't have enough hands to do it right now. It's a very good tool. In fact, I believe in an earlier TeamSpeak session, we talked about uh, uh, circuit analysis tools. It's a uh, it's a circuit simulator based on uh, SPICE. Uh, SPICE is a, an acronym for simulation program with in integrated circuit emphasis, which was developed at Berkeley back uh, back in the 70s, I believe, um, in the public domain. There have been a number of commercial versions available. <coughs> and just recently, excuse me, uh, Linear Technology, in the last couple of years, they have, uh, Is my audio still good, George? Yep, you're OK. OK, I bought the mouse and my screen went uh, bonkers here. I was afraid I uh, knocked myself off. Um, spice is by uh, linear technology. It's an adaptation of, uh, of the SPICE package that gives you the ability to uh, input uh, uh, circuitry. Uh, and there are models for various uh, components. And you can do such things as uh, frequency response, which is what we did here. You can uh, do DC analysis of circuits. You can look at AC analysis. Uh, you can look at transient analysis. Very, very powerful tool and um, very handy and inexpensive. Uh, there is a tutorial. Um, we'll put the link on the, um, on the webpage and perhaps point back to the notes we had from, uh, from the original presentation, uh, TeamSpeak, back uh, several months back. Good tool. I like it a lot, and uh, I particularly like the uh, price.
0: Okay, everybody. Thank you very much for attending tonight's session of Chat with the Designers. As I said, Joe and I had a great time in preparing for uh, today's session on, on uh, harmonics and spurs and parasitics and all the stuff that's in our signals that we generate. We don't often see it. Uh, not as many of us that should worry about it. And ways that we can measure it or at least detect it in a relative manner on our bench in inexpensive ways with conventional, uh, relatively conventional parts. And again, stay tuned for the, uh, the SQM, the signal quality meter kit that'll come along. Uh, we will resurface that shortly and have it available here for those who uh, would like to play along with that. So until we meet again next week on this same time, same station. Uh, chat with the designers on Tuesdays, every night, every week, uh, evening on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. local and 000000000 Zulu time. We'll see you all next week at that, uh, at that spot. And uh, thanks for attending tonight. Good night all. Please tune in next week for the next session of Chat with the Designers. Thank you.